Welcome to the Robert Lewis Sermons Podcast, a collection of sermons from Dr. Lewis during his time as teaching pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. We desire to see all who are Christ followers grow in faith and maturity through the use of this podcast. Here's this week's message. This morning, we are beginning a new beginning of sorts with the advent of fall. Uh, We begin today a new pulpit series, if you'll notice on your outline, that I've entitled Growing Deeper in the Christ-Centered Life. Uh, I'm going to be giving you both an introduction and an overview here this morning. You'll notice that this morning's message is entitled, It's a Good Time to Go Deeper. And I'm not talking about the construction behind us either. I'm talking about our own lives. It's a good time to go deeper. And perhaps you're asking, well, why is that true? And uh, this morning, I'd like to begin this series with uh, three thoughts for your consideration as we begin this series together. It's a good time to go deeper because of the changes that we have experienced here in this last year. There has been enormous change at Fellowship Bible Church in this last year. We've had a number of staff changes that uh, have brought on new staff into our church. We've had a number of ministry changes. You are aware, all you have to do is look around of the uh, large facility changes that you see. We've also had probably the greatest change, some major infrastructural changes as we've gone through a tremendous uh, change between uh, community groups and people are all starting out this new year in different groups, uh, some with uh, new causes for the first time and new adventures that are before them. And all of this change that we have experienced could be likened to a family that's been uprooted from one region of the country and have found themselves suddenly moved to another region. It's an exciting thing to move, but as you all know, it's also traumatic. When you move to a new place and you just get there and you just got the pictures hanging on the wall, life is a little bit disorienting. You find yourself off balance. Things are not as they once were and there's a a sea of change everywhere around you. And I think that's true of us as well. I am convinced though, that in all these changes that we've experienced, our church has really in fact moved to a very much of a better and higher place. But like in any move, our changes have been traumatic for us. And now we find ourselves with all that going on, the need, just like a couple who've moved to a new city, we find the need to put down some roots again and restore our stability. For a church, stability is always a return to our first love. Stability is always found in the person of Jesus Christ. And though we've moved to what I think is a higher and better place, in coming to that place before us, we have greater opportunities. We've also got greater challenges Some of us for the first time have greater responsibilities at a much higher degree. And in all of that, it's a good time to go deeper into the Christ-centered life. We're at a new altitude, and at a new altitude, you cannot substitute busyness for Christ-centeredness. So it's a good time to go back to Jesus Christ and look at Him and think on Him and draw close to Him and hopefully much deeper in Him. Paul has a warning in 2 Corinthians 11.3, which I think is a good one for us 
as we start this new year, he says to those Corinthians, I'm afraid for you, lest as the serpent deceive Eve by his craftiness, that your mind should be led astray from the purity and simplicity of devotion to Christ. You know, the Christian life can look real complex. You can be in a large church and it can be overwhelming. But the reality is, is there is very much a simplicity in all of this. And the simplicity is just simply devotion to Christ. There's another reason it's a good time to go deeper, and that's because of the ever-present danger, ever present danger of complacency. You know, numbers of us have been Christians for a long time, and there is danger in that. And from time to time, we have some very tragic reminders to the old adage that you can't live spiritually on yesterday's manna. And that occurs when you find one among us who was once a good soldier in the cause of Christ, faithful and pure and effective. That person at some point coming to a place where Christ no longer holds their focus and devotion for whatever reason, it may be a problem that they just simply can't get over, that they can't overcome. It might be, in fact, uh, uh, the fact that they are in a place of boredom or maybe they just forgot to practice the things that they once knew. Whatever the reason is, they come to the place where though the effects weren't immediately known to them, you can see it in their eyes after a while when their eyes spiritually dim and the inner motivation simply turns to dry duty and the mind turns to other things, seductive things. Compromise replaces conquest in everyday life. And there comes a place for some that they even lay down their armor and run back to the enemy's camp. I can't think of anything more painful for me than when I've witnessed that happen. Now you ask, why do they do that? Because you can't store up spiritual life. You can't store it up just like the Israelites could not store up manna in the wilderness. You remember that God, as they went through that wilderness journey, as we're going through this pilgrimage on planet Earth, when they were going through that wilderness journey, God gave them food in the form of this manna. And some of them, wanting to be resourceful, tried to store it, but it couldn't be stored. The next day they would find it foul and rotten. And that's a principle for us. Spiritual life operates on the same Principles, what fueled our lives spiritually yesterday, those things won't fuel our lives today. Therefore, if you're going to live effectively with Christ, there has to be this constant pursuit to go deeper because if you aren't going deeper, you're rising to the surface and you're becoming shallower. You know, this summer, I began to feel that for myself some. Uh, there were moments and times, and there still is moments and times where in looking back to draw on resources to meet the demands that are growing for my life and the new playing field that I've found myself on at this particular season of life with teenagers and family and a growing church, suddenly you reach back for those resources and they're not there. You feel like you're scraping the bottom of a pan that now has been emptied. When that happens, it's a good reminder that it's a good time to go deeper. And I think finally another reason is because of the unity and the community that going deeper 
encourages. The church, as you know, is by definition a spiritual community and what draws us together and what establishes our common direction and shapes our values and causes us to be able to communicate well with one another is Jesus Christ in us. That's what draws us together. Nothing less. It's our common pursuit of Christ. And I want you to know when lesser things, even good lesser things, replace that, it may be that some loyalty we have to some particular area of ministry and we become so focused on that that we lose our focus on Christ and what others are doing. It could be some preference for a certain spiritual style over another. It could be when our personal preferences about the way we want to live just simply begin to nullify and block the pursuit of truth or when socializing and being with a particular group becomes more important to us than spiritualizing with the whole church. When that happens, unity and community quickly suffer. And that can happen in a church as large and as diverse as this particular one. With our growth and expansion, with our change, with all the things that we see around us. It's important to remember that Jesus Christ is our communication link. Jesus Christ is our translator for all the diversity that you and I possess with one another. Jesus Christ is our target. He's our value system. He's our common denominator. He's our command center. He's our glue. And when you forget that, you can forget unity and community that Bill talked about moments earlier. It's a good time to go deeper in the Christ-centered life. You know, the New Testament is filled with this call to go deeper. Sometimes as you read about it, it's easy just to pass by the depth of what these statements mean. And that's why we're going to be exploring them, though I'm just going to simply be overviewing them. But as you read through the New Testament, you'll come across passages that call us to do more than just know about Christ or to meet Christ or to passively believe in Christ. The sense, the pressure that you feel in these particular passages is to move forward into exploring Christ, into engaging Christ on an everyday basis, into enjoying Christ. And for some, this is a mystical experience. And some have never connected with to experiencing Christ, the living Christ on an everyday basis. Let me just show you, for instance, Jesus mentions, though you might take your Bible, we'll kind of do a safari here for a minute through the New Testament, but look over in John chapter 12, because Jesus' call is real simple to these men. It's to follow Him. But every so often, some pearls will drip from His lips that leave these men somewhat mystified, but it's a call to go deeper. For instance, in John chapter 12, you might look with me for just a moment uh, in verse 24. Uh, Jesus is interacting with... Uh, some Gentiles, but then he says this, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. See, that's an invitation there to go deeper because that requires an exploration to mind what Jesus means by that. Paul is the same way. You might look over into Romans chapter 6, just move forward and come to Romans chapter 6. And as he's speaking about believing in Christ, which makes up all of Romans chapter 5, he moves into Romans chapter 6 
And then you come across these words that when I was a young Christian used to mystify me. I mean, I, I really couldn't understand what they, they meant. For instance, John, I mean, Romans chapter 6, look at verse 5. He says, for if we become united in him with the likeness of his death. Now, what does that mean? We shall also be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. I mean, is this guy speaking a foreign language to me at this point? As a new Christian, it was. Then he says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer to be slaves to sin. And then he says this, for he who is, has died is free from sin. And what does that mean? I want you to know we're, we're, we're walking across some deeper theology here. You can just turn the page to Romans 8. Look at verse 11. He says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through His Spirit who indwells you. So then, brethren, we are not under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit, and that's an invitation right there to plunge deeper, if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, we're talking about a whole different connection than just believing in Christ. Turn over to Galatians a few pages further on as he addresses these rule-driven Galatians who think that religion is wrapped up in rules. And yet in the midst of this discourse that Paul gives the Galatians, he comes to verse 20 and he makes this incredible statement. It's a statement that's like walking out on a diving board and asking you to take the plunge. He says this, I have been, you haven't, but I have been crucified with Christ. I'll let you get there. I want you to read it with me. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live. Oh man, that just kind of grabs me. But it is Christ who lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. What does all that mean? Can I tell you generally what it means? Generally what it means is there's something more that many Christians are not experiencing. That's what it means. Some would say looks, gender, other things. We get all kinds of analysis. But I'm going to say from a symbolic way, there's no way you can tell which is the higher life form. But in every church, there are these two people, and one of them is. One of them is. There is one of them who lives with a deeper sense of the mystery of Christ. One of these two people live with a deeper sense of the mystery of Christ. Theirs is an experiential relationship with God. They feel Him, they know Him, they listen to Him, they hear Him, they walk with Him. It's important that they yield to Him. The other relates to Christ only in an external kind of basis. There's no sense of personal connection. But they go to church and they carry their Bibles. One of these two people 
learns about Christ from Christ every day. The other person learns about Christ from others when they're in environments where they can hear what others have to say about Him. One has a real sense that spiritual life is real here, that it's in me. The other sense of spiritual life, well, if they were really honest, is artificial because it's passive and it's external and it's institutional and it's limited. Where the other person, just because of what they've learned this year, seems to be moving into a whole new realm of life because of their personal experience with Christ. You see, one of these two people is a churchgoer. The other person is a Christgoer. And the difference between the two is as intense as the difference between light and darkness. And the difference is because of the result of a root system that one has, a Christ-centeredness that one has and the other doesn't have. Exploring the root system is what this series is going to be all about. If people were plants, I mean, if you could come along to a person and take them and just go and pull them out, what you would see, we can't do that, but what you would see is on some of these, there would be roots dangling, deep roots, sometimes real healthy roots. On some of them, when you'd pop them up, there would be maybe just the very beginnings of life or nothing at all. They're almost like a cut flower. Those are significant differences in what I call the Christian life. Now, what I want to do this morning is have you turn back now to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to explore this root system. We're going to look at five of, I think, the most essential roots of the Christian life. And we'll only start this in the weeks to follow. We're going to explore them in much more depth. But for the sake of your outline, let me just go ahead and give them to you on your outline. The first is our death with Christ. You heard that, didn't you, when I read those deeper life passages? Death over and over again. Death is a key ingredient to the Christian life. Secondly is our resurrection with Christ. Third is our hidden life with Christ. Fourth is our unity with Christ. And finally, our vindication with Christ. Now each of those roots gives specific life and health to a believer, a Christ-goer. And I want you to see them now as we read Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised up with Christ, and that if in Greek means that I believe that you have. It's almost like since you've been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, and then he says, who is our life is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. There's some unbelievable phrases. Did you see it in those four, four verses? That, that really are mystifying. They're like deep pools that you would see if you were in the national forest and you just wonder how far down those deep pools go if we've died with Christ, that our life is hidden in God, that we've been raised up with Him. Christ is our life. We will be revealed with Him in glory. What in the world? 
But let me tell you, those are invitations to a much deeper life than many Christians are experiencing. So we're going to look briefly at each one of those. First of all, our death in Christ. And uh, if you look at verse 1, you won't see death there. It's mentioned in verse 3 as another thought by Paul, but it's assumed in verse 1 when he says, if you've been raised up with Christ, you can't be raised up unless first you've died. If you'll go back in the letter just a little bit to uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 12, he, he, he's on that theme as he moves into chapter 3. Look at verse 12. He says, having been buried with him in baptism. Okay, so you've been buried. Look at verse 20. He says, if you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why are you living in the world? Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit to decrees? These empty decrees. So death is all in chapter 2. And then we move into chapter 3 and he talks about resurrection. So I want to look first at our death in Christ. What do we mean that we have died in Christ? Or that we need, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that I die daily. What's all this talk about death? Well, in the scriptures, this kind of death is a very important kind of death. Sometimes it's painful, sometimes not. But it is the putting to death of the self-ruled life as the beginning or the starting line for all of spiritual life. It's dying to the control that we and I desperately want to have over my life. I want to be the ruler. I want to control it. It's the moment that we take some very significant steps to commit personal homicide when it comes to self-rule. It's surrendering to the rule of Christ. Now, I want you to know from an eternal destiny perspective, it's not hard to yield to the rule of Christ. That's why kids find it easy to believe in Christ so that they'll go to heaven. That's why a lot of Christians go no deeper than that theology, I'm going to believe in Christ and go to heaven. Because you know what? It's real easy when you're about to die to let God take over, isn't it? We know our impotence when it comes to death. Even the secular heathen knows his impotence when he comes to the moment of death. So it's real easy to let God take over at that point. See, that's not our problem. Friends, it's in letting God take over now that's the problem. It's allowing Him to challenge us now. And it scares us, if you're honest. We, we don't want to lose control. We don't want to be submissive to another way of life that may not get us what we so desperately want in life. And so it becomes fearful to us, mystifying to us. And let me tell you, for me, there have been times I've been repulsed by it. I don't want to submit. I want to do it my way and have it on my terms. My flesh does not like taking orders from anyone. So we resist submission, we resist authority, we resist directives, and we love to go through life making it up as we go. And that's why we see so much inconsistency and changing standards as we move through our life. We're just like the world. And let me tell you, one of the things that's robbing the church of its power 
is it lives not by commitment, but by expediency. And so our standards change. Even as we acknowledge Christ and His rule and His kingdom, as we sang about, our standards are being made up as we go. For instance, we believe in Christ as a teenager, but we overrule Him when it comes to the opposite sex. Free love we proclaim in our self-government. Then we go to college, and we still believe in Christ in college, as a college student, but we overrule Him again and we say, protected love is the order of our day. And then we graduate from college, and we go get a job, and then we legislate a new sexual standard, commitment with protected love, we say. And then we marry, and we point to our mate as the king of our kingdom, and we say, monogamy for you, a few mistakes for me. And then we have children, and we bring those children to the church, and we look at them, and as a couple, we proclaim, God says abstinence. Do you hear all that? See, we're making life up as we go. And the world looks just like that. You know, they, two years ago, hate family values, and now they love family values. See? And then back in the 60s, you know, we were all for this, and now we're all for commitment. We used to be for freedom, now we're for commitment. And you know what we're doing? We're just making life up as we go. And it's tragedy to tragedy. And we finally, when we come to the end of ourselves, it makes sense. But it doesn't make any sense. Because if even in that moment where we finally came to values, if we're still ruling in our heart, we're just simply setting ourselves up for the next season of change when it's expedient. But there's no commitment because there's no trust, there's fear, and there is rebellion in our heart. And you know what? You can never go deeper with Christ until there's an execution every day. This kind of lifestyle, you can call it arrogant, you can call it hypocritical, you can call it foolishness, weakness, whatever it is. But I know many Christians, I even see it myself, who live like that, and it's impossible to get a handle on it until you add to your root system this root called death. You show me a Christ-centered Christian, and I will show you an expert who is passionate about executing their own will daily before God. They're an executioner. And it's because of that that they are positioned to go deeper with the God that they really are committed to. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. This is death with Christ. And we're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come. Let's look at what verses 1 and 2 says because it introduces us to resurrection. We've been dead, and since we're dead now, we've been raised up with Christ. He says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. And where Christ is is the place of honor, of dignity, of reality. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Now, that's not asking you to live like an extremist, a fanatic, head in the clouds, no realism or practicality in your life, just the opposite. It's asking you to live very effectively in this world. The American Negro College Fund used to run a, a marvelous ad on African-American education that would end this way. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. 
Look in verses 1 and 2. You'll see your mind, and it's a terrible thing to waste when it comes to understanding what resurrection means. Your mental focus is one of the key essentials in growing deeper with Christ. Your mental focus. Let me talk about that. And notice I said, by the way, focus. You didn't hear me say intelligence or aptitude. This is within the grasp of every person. It's called focus. The phrase seeking things above in verse 1, look. Verse 2, set your mind on the things above is not about gaining knowledge. It's good to gain knowledge, but it's not about gaining knowledge. It's not about discovering something that you didn't previously know. These two exhortations in verses 1 and 2 is not a reference about Bible study either. It is addressing an intense focus in which a person is aiming to possess experientially what they keep hearing about theoretically. It's not talking about that God is the king and we sing, we come to you, O Christ, our king. It's learning how to experience him being king and coming in on Sunday after he was king. That's what we're talking about. It's an experiential possession of all these things I keep reading about in the scriptures. When it tells me I need to love or, or you know, go to my enemy and reconcile with him, and I hate that, and I don't want to because it's going to make me feel like I'm weak. And I didn't feel like I did anything wrong anyway. And yet I get up because he's ruling and I go and I reconcile and glory follows and I realize God really was leading me. That's what I'm talking about here. In athletics, you always begin your year not talking about how hot it is in summer, not talking about that we've got to go to two-a-day or three-a-day practices. The coach who does that is ruining his team. No, you get them focused on the ring that they're going to wear at the end of the year. The prize that's set before them, the championship, being number one. It's that focus when they're out in the summer heat, the first couple of games when they're leg weary, that keeps them overcoming the obstacles of pain and disappointment and challenge and a tougher opponent. Some years back, you read about the guy who was out, the woodsman who fell the tree that landed on him and there he was with no one around. He was out in the woods all by himself and his leg was severely injured and he was bleeding to death and there was no one to call out to help to. All he had was his chainsaw and he didn't focus on his pain because he could have never done what he had to do. But he cranked that chainsaw up and he amputated his own leg and crawled to his truck and drove himself to the hospital and the whole time, what was he focused on? Life. And that's why he was able to do what he did. Did you know you'll never be able to live with Christ the way the Bible talks about unless you have an intense focus that you want his life? Even if it means overcoming pain, even if it means overcoming the past, even if it means overcoming obstacles, even if it means overcoming a difficult spouse. You focus there, you lose. You focus higher, you win, and you discover the treasures of the kingdom. To begin each day focused on Jesus Christ and spiritual things, what He would say, what He would do, how He would act, that's not being a radical. That's being a real Christian. And if that scares you, then you're going to be the churchgoer. 
You can't get beyond it. You're going you're to prefer things over Christ and it's going to bring division in your life. The church is never going to satisfy you because it didn't do this or I didn't know this person or I couldn't go here or it blocked me from that. Eastern mystics have their mantra that they give their disciples. And that mantra is something that they meditate on so that they would be ushered into a spiritual union with the world in which they're meditating on. But when it comes to the Christian life, we've all been given our mantra. We were given it the day we came to Christ. You know what our mantra is? It's Jesus. Just one word. It's Jesus Christ, His life for ours. That's what we mean by resurrection. Then note the third root. It's just in this little phrase, our hidden life with Christ. Verse 3 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, that speaks to our identity in Christ, and I'm not going to spend much time here because Rich did a very able job with that last week, and I don't want to reduplicate it. But I love that phrase, that my life is hidden with Christ. You know, you know the picture there is of an image of a woman shielding her children? That's what the image is, shielding her children there. There's something about a mother's love that would go to the end, shielding her children. I remember when uh, my family was in Auschwitz uh, summer before last, and we were walking through the Russian part of Auschwitz where the Russian soldiers were, and it was showing a chronology of the brutality of the Nazis. And one of the images that really I just broke down on was a picture of a Nazi soldier with his rifle pulled for an execution, and here was a mother holding her child going like this right before she was shot. Still shielding her child to the death. Did you know your life is shielded with that much passion? It is. The same depth. We are sinners, but in Christ we are hidden. Shielded from the effects of that sin that would separate us from God for an eternity. We are mortal, but in Christ we are shielded. We are hidden from the effects of our mortality, which is death, by the promise of Christ and our resurrection. We may never feel important or significant in this life, but if you know Christ, you know that you are more than just historically anonymous. You know that in Christ you're known by God, by name, you know He will recognize you. He knows that he is, you have been given a title by Him and that you have a significant destiny with Him, part of which is listed in verse 4. When you get to be revealed with Him, notice it says, not just revealed with Him, revealed with Him in glory. Yes, our life for what it really is and will be is hidden from the world right now, but it is hidden securely for the person who's gone deeper with Jesus Christ and has that root. And it encourages him or her every day to know that. I'm secure. I'm known and I will be known. Our life is hidden with Christ. There's a fourth root. Notice it says our union with Christ. He says, and I love this phrase too. He says, now when Christ, and then he has this little parenthesis. Who is our life? Does that sound too scary to you? Does the eradication of self-rule, not the eradication of self, so petrify you as you think, that's just going too far. Christ? 
who is our life. You know, the people who get there don't find it too far. They find it sweeter. But it's scary. Reminds me of C.S. Lewis with the Lion Aslan, you know, where the Lion Aslan was sitting by the stream and Peter and Mary are just, they're just dying of thirst. And they ask the lion, you know, will you hurt us? And he just growls. Doesn't say anything because it's a faith step. He just growls at them. And they say, will you promise not to hurt us? And he just says, I make no promises. Come get the water. See, that's, that's how it feels to the self. What are you going to do to me if I come? Are you going to eat me? going to kill me? God says, I make no promises, but come. That's the deeper life in Christ. Remember Paul's words in Galatians 2.20 when it says, it is not I, but Christ who lives in me. And he's speaking here of this daily ongoing interaction that one has with Christ where the presence of Christ becomes more than a concept. It becomes real. You can feel it. Many Christians never seem, I think, to personally connect. Maybe they were never taught that. Growing up in the church, it was very traditional and Christ was always the holy other. That's not the New Testament, though. Maybe you've never experienced it. Maybe you never even thought that you could. I like what Jack Taylor said in his book. He said, my father was a farmer and he was a very good one. I suppose that I simply deduce that if my father could have become a good farmer by hard work, I could become a good Christian in the same manner. I do not ever remember not wanting to be a good Christian, so I, sent off, I set off trying. A sandy land farm is not exactly the shortest route to becoming a millionaire, but my dad made it do. He had a few washouts, blowouts, hailouts, some straight-out crop failures, and every now and then a fair crop. So I figured this was what I would do to settle in for in the Christian life. And then he says this, Thus, for almost two decades, my Christian life was like that of a sharecropper on a sandy land farm. I tolerated it simply because I didn't know there was anything else because nobody ever told me what the Christian life was all about. I'm inviting you to discover that. Whatever the reason, maybe you haven't connected Knowing and experiencing the person of Christ is at the core of the Christian life. That's what we're shooting for. That's our target. The Apostle Paul, by the way, was concerned for his disciples, his Christians, in the very same way. There's an interesting phrase. You might turn back to Galatians chapter 4. Let me let you look at verse 19. There's a real interesting statement because remember I told you the Galatians were rule keepers. Christ was external they were trying to approach all of him from an external point of view. And he utters these words, and sometimes you can miss what the power of these words are in verse 19 of chapter 4. He says, My children, with whom I am again in labor, now listen, until Christ is formed in you. You know what that's a picture of? A pregnancy. When my wife was pregnant, for the first few weeks, uh, she knew she was pregnant by the test, but she didn't feel like she was pregnant. She didn't get sick or anything. She didn't look different, no physical changes, because that fetus was not formed well enough. But there comes a moment when there's no doubt, right, ladies? 
It becomes developed and it begins to kick and turn over and roll and keep you up at night and all kinds of things because that child is being formed in you. That's exactly the image Paul has. Some of you have got a six-week-old fetus Christ in you. You don't even know he's there. And he wants to connect, but you've got to nourish that. You've got to seek that. You've got to pursue that till Christ is formed in you and then you'll know it. That's the image here. Are you experiencing Christ? Do you know Him? Have you sold out to Him? Have you died to your own kingdom? This is the deeper life. But the life Christ has for you is the best. Which brings us to our final root, our vindication in Christ. Verse 4, it says, And when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. As I said, so much of the Christian life is hidden from the world. Who we are in Christ, what we are, what we're becoming, what's really even going on. But one day, Paul says, all that we are in Christ and all that we've been learning from Him now will one day become visible to all. That's what he's saying here. When Christ is made known, when He's revealed at His second coming, we'll be revealed and all that's been going on in us will be revealed at the same time. The lifestyle that the world scoffed at it mocked, it ignored, it thought was foolishness. At that moment, all will be vindicated. A new age will come. That's why the new age movement, by the way, is not too far off. It's not the truth. It's close to the truth. Because there is a new age coming. And it's in Christ. And He is already at work in us, producing it. And one day, it will be revealed. And how you hope in that will determine whether you go deeper in Christ. See, it's a good time to go deeper. In 1983, John Scully quit his post at PepsiCo, where he was the chief executive officer, and he moved to become president of Apple Computers. And in doing that, he took a significant risk, because in 1983, Apple Computers was a no-name organization, fly-by-night company, and PepsiCo was a humongous corporation and he had a tremendous position and tremendous salary and tremendous benefits and yet he was asked to move over to switch with no guarantees except for a vision. And despite all the deliberations, John Scully was not convinced until Stephen Jobs, who was at that time the president of Apple, took him aside and just said simply this to him. Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar water, or do you want a chance to change the whole world? And he took, the, he took the plunge. And I would want to ask you here at the close of this message, do you want to spend the rest of your life going to church? Or do you want to risk it all and go after Christ and change your life? It's a good time to go deeper. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Robert Lewis Sermon Podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please rate and review this podcast. In addition, share this with your friends and community. This podcast was produced by the team at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about the team at soundofarose.com.